In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From the 14th and 15th verses of Peter's second letter to the church. Therefore, beloved, since you wait for the new heavens and the new earth, be zealous to be found by the Lord without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the forbearance of the Lord as salvation. It's my joy always to be here in Ascension Church. Um, I I get here quite frequently, um, and relatively speaking, frequently on uh, feast days since I come. In Advent, when we talk about the Lord's coming again, and I come on Ascension Day when we talk about the Lord's going away, and thus we sort of complete the 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 the, the, the picture, um, at least in the in the truth that this particular congregation and its dedication um, proclaims that He ascended into heaven, and that He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I was here just two weeks ago when happening met in your midst, and this congregation has given um, tremendous leadership to the diocese uh, over the years, and it's um, the teams that have served happening. Um, Tom Hillman, who uh, works as the uh, director of the, the Happening Movement, and I see Ben Wilson over there, and lots of others who um, have given such leadership. It's one of the sources of the leadership that this diocese uh, forms and then depends on. Um, you don't know when I come to 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 Jonah's call, um, but I. Uh, I appear there too. It's yet another um, visitation to one of the congregations that you all have founded as you've listened to the Lord's call. Um, it's also, of course, the, the, the case that um, you give uh, such support to me and to our diocese and to our whole movement. Um, it's rightly said that I and we could not do it without you. Um, Noteworthy indeed was in our hardest time when your vestry paid its assessment a whole year in advance in order that we'd have the resources to not run dry in the leaner months. An amazing ministry you've had, an amazing work. Um, Your rector's about to become the president of the standing committee. (laughs) Pray for him. That means he's got to give me advice and counsel in a very particular way. Um, uh, I'm delighted that he'll, he'll be in that role. Your clergy who give us such leadership in so many places, uh, so much of the buzz in the diocese and in the ecumenical community at the moment is over the pub club, you know. 
Uh, and it has, you know, <laughs> elements of redemption and uh, elements of, of the world. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> but we're about redeeming what's in the world to make it over and make it new. Um, I also thank you. This congregation has often been the place where what I'd call my tribe has landed. <laughs> I, think, I think Mrs. Duncan's here somewhere today, so, so, somewhere hiding out there. Um, the, the, you've, you've been her parish uh, when, when uh, she's been able to be here, which as we live out in the country is not nearly so much as, as once was the case but you also have given place to, you know, the Scrivens when they were here, to uh, Mary Hayes, to um, now Jack Luminog and Amy and their girls. You're a wonderful congregation that's in ministry with me and uh, cares for the things that that really matter. And I, I need to, to say that to you all. Um, we really are in this together. Um, for the long haul and and day by day. And I thank you. And I thank you on behalf of our whole diocesan family and on behalf of our movement. Now to the the text and the words I want to speak to you. You will recall that in the 4th century, um, all of the bishops of the church, I mean both east and west and from every part of the church, Uh, came together um, in two councils, uh, one at Nicaea in 325 and the second at Constantinople in the year 381. Uh, When the bishops gathered, and it was the first time that it was possible for all the bishops throughout the world to have gathered uh, in what we now refer to as the first and second ecumenical councils, um, when they gathered together, their central task was to help the church to understand how it is the church would agree to talk about our God, known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every Sunday, we say the product of their labors. Um, we believe in one God. Um, and we say, we believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And both the first article about the Father and the second article about the Son um, were composed and agreed uh, at Nicaea in 325. The third article, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, in 325 actually was, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, amen. In 381, it was, by that time, it was clear to the church that more teaching had to be done about who the Holy Spirit was and what his operation was. So the creed was completed in that way. The, the Lambeth Quadrilateral of 1888 describes the Nicene Creed as the essential statement of the Christian faith. You'll sometimes hear me speak those words as I invite you to say the Nicene Creed. The essential statement of the Christian faith. If you know this and proclaim this, uh, you are one with the whole church 
about our understanding of who God is. I am, however, reminded uh, of a um, notable, or if you will, notorious bishop um, who, uh, when he was at the University of the South, said to his college chaplain, um, I have trouble believing all these things. And sadly, the college chaplain said, well, say the parts you believe. And in this was sown the seeds of our destruction, as it always is. It's not that everyone can grasp every truth that's in the creed um, and embrace it with equal certainty, except that it is the church's certain proclamation, but that each of us is called just as with the word of God to wrestle with the parts we have the hardest times understanding and accept their veracity, their truth, even if we are not yet in a place where we can understand that it is so. The whole church throughout the world has said that it is so, and this is our proclamation. This is why we say it week after week. Now, so why have I told you all this? (laughs) Okay, well, the reason I've told you all this is that today we get a reading from Second Peter, which is um, the most systematic description of what, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. In the Seven and a half verses of today's epistle reading from Second Peter. Um, and Second Peter, First Peter was written to the church to help them to understand why they were being attacked by the world. Second Peter was written to the church to help the church understand why people within the church were attacking the church. Okay, so that's the context of this third chapter of. Peter's letter. In fact, all of Peter's second letter is about this. Um, In verses 8 through 13 of the third chapter of 2 Peter, if you want to follow along, you can, because it's it's all right there. And, you know, 2 Peter's after 1 Peter, and it's before 1 John. Okay? And Peter comes after James and after Hebrews. Okay? and before Jude and Revelation. Okay, that's where it fits. It's kind of toward the end. It's really important to kind of remember this stuff. Okay. But the third chapter of Second Peter, the 8th uh, through the 13th verses, uh, what Peter does is to give us, in a very few verses, in six verses, he gives us six points of understanding about what the second coming is about. And I just want to rehearse those for us. Because I think, again, we don't come on this passage but once every three years, at least in our Sunday readings. And it's an amazing passage kind of systematically for what the church proclaims. And it's indeed out of this particular teaching with others in the New Testament that the Council of Nicaea 
since this occurs in the second article of the creed, uh, came to make the statement it made that we make every Sunday when we talk about what is essential to Christian believing. So look with me, if you will. Um, In verse 8, it it, it talks about time and the Lord. You know, the the, the Lord is not slow as we count slowness. Uh, With the Lord, a thousand days are like a day, or a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. I mean, for the Lord, there's no time. What does it say? But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Again, this is what I was trying to begin to open up with the children, this this. We have great difficulty waiting, but for the Lord, time is not like our time. And there's a reason why this is so with the Lord, and this is what Peter goes on to explain. He says in in verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay? The Lord actually cares about all of his creation, and he cares about all of the sons and daughters of man, and he desires that all should be able to turn around from the defect of their sin and come to him. And so he's prepared to wait as long as it takes that everyone might have the opportunity. Now, this is not the same as to say that this guarantees that everyone repents. No, it just says that the Lord wants everyone to have a chance, to have the opportunity to turn to him. So none are condemned without the opportunity for salvation. Again, this is why we proclaim in the creed that Jesus descended, in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus descended into hell. It's so everybody has the chance to repent and be saved. The Lord is not slow. The Lord is forbearing. He wants all his children to know him and to turn back to him from their rebellion. That's the second thing that Peter is saying. So why does it take so long? Well, first of all, with the Lord, time is not kind of like us. And secondly, he's actually got a purpose, which is he wants everybody to hear and he wants everybody to turn. Who will if they desire to? want to. The third thing that Peter teaches us is that the end will come suddenly. (laughs) There will be a great noise, you know, like the sudden clash of thunder, only, you know, much more awesome than that. And there'll be fire and melting, (laughs) 
You know? And everything that we know will be consumed. That's what it says. Now, this is not a pretty picture, and I didn't go there with the kids. Okay? Okay? Because we'll, we'll take them there in God's time once they know they can trust this Lord who's looking for everybody to, 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 to come and to repent. But when it's over, it's over. Okay, this is what Peter's teaching. Now, this is not, again, this is not the most attractive proclamation we can get, but it's true. <laughs> okay? Just, you know, it's in the book. It's true. Peter wants us to understand that. And again, Peter, he, 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 in three verses, he gives us some of this stuff about fire and melting and consuming and noise. He does it in verse 10. He does it in verse 11. He does it in verse 12. While he's making some other points. Okay, so that's, that's the, 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 the third thing. That it'll happen suddenly. And again, we've heard Jesus teaching in last weeks. In, in the Gospels we've been hearing from Matthew. That, you know, he'll come suddenly. You know, so have your lamps burning. He'll come suddenly. So make sure that you're there visiting the sick and those in prison and, you know, so on. The fourth thing Peter teaches us is that the way to prepare, he does this in verse 11, he says, since all these things, that is, heaven and earth, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Okay? So, the, the call to us is to be holy, that is, set apart, and godly, that is, doing it God's way. Not by our own power, but remember, we've been given the Holy Spirit in baptism. It's been fired up in confirmation and fired up whenever we receive the sacraments. So be in holiness and godliness. That's the call. That's how we can wait. And when you wait like that, you know, it's like being at the Lord's party all the time. And so time passes rather quickly. It's like every day being Easter day. You see the perspective that Peter's trying to give us? Holiness and godliness are our preparation. And then he makes this amazing point in verse 12. You know, as I said, this is scripture's really systematic teaching in six verses of what it's like when he shall come again. Uh, in verse 12, it says, but, ac- but according to his promise, we wait for new heavens and, an- excuse me, I'm, I, it, I'm, I read that's 13. Waiting, it, it describes what we're doing while we're waiting, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Okay? Did you know that you could hasten the day? You could actually speed things up? That's what Peter teaches. We're not only to be waiting for it, but the the, the verb can also be translated desiring it. But Peter actually goes so far as to say, we can hasten it by our holiness and godliness because others will see and they'll want it too. Can you imagine that? We could actually shorten the time if we get with the program. 
It's an amazing statement that Peter makes. But again, the church holds it to be true. So, you know, you, you all at Ascension Church, okay? Godliness, holiness, let's do it. Let's get the Lord to come. We want him to come, right? Why do we want him to come? And this is the sixth point. This is in verse 13. Because there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Things aren't right now. Things aren't just now. Things aren't merciful now. Just think about the debate over health care, for heaven's sakes. Is it that some should have and others shouldn't? Things aren't right now. And our promise is that we wait for new heavens and a new earth, which is characterized by righteousness, in which righteousness dwells, or in the translation that you have, it says, righteousness makes its home. Okay? All these things will be true. These six things will be true when Jesus comes again. And as we wait for it, and actually even do our part in helping it to be ready and to come. So then, and again, just another, I'm almost done here. Um, Just another clue is whenever Scripture says, therefore, it's worth paying attention to just what happened beforehand. Okay? And in verse 14, Peter begins, therefore. It's, It's like Paul's therefore in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why, what, is, how, what does that therefore relate to? That therefore relates to the resurrection of the dead. The whole 15th chapter, 57 verses have been about the resurrection of the dead and about Jesus rising and our rising with him. Okay, well, in this one, it's about Jesus coming again. Therefore, therefore, beloved, Since you wait for the new heavens and the new earth, that is, since you hope and trust in this, be zealous to be found without spot or blemish. Remember, Jesus was found without spot or blemish, which is why he's the perfect offering that takes away our sin. And it's not that we're that perfect offering except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be, as you wait, be without spot or blemish and be at peace, at peace with God and at peace with one another. And then Peter says, and count the forbearance or count the patience of the Lord as salvation. He's waiting To save. And here's my final point to you, friends. He has saved you, and He has saved me, and He wants to save 
his whole creation to the extent that it will repent and turn to him. So count this, friends, as great good news and a call to action for this is his salvation for us. And he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead. He shall come with glory and his kingdom shall have no end. Amen.